Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. In this series I started last week called Extraordinary, how God takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things with them. All of us to a degree are ordinary, but God can do some amazing and extraordinary things through us. And, uh, and I, I want to just start off today. Here's the key to the message, that public victories are won through private sacrifices. You ever seen those folks that uh, they, they have a good public uh, face, but they're like you, you have to know people personally. Like you have to have a relationship or uh, what, whatever that looks like. It could be a work relationship. It could be a close personal relationship. But you have to have a relationship with people because you have to know what's on the backside of their life, what, what their private world looks like. And you ever seen those people that they talk a good talk? They talk a good talk. They've got, they got all the right uh, Jesus answers. They, they have all of the, the public facade. It looks like it's all together, but they're, the backside of their life is a wreck. It's really a character issue. That's what we're going to be learning about today. We're, you know, yesterday, or, or sorry, last Sunday, First uh, Samuel chapter 16, we got, um, we got David's identity an introduction to him. He was identified as the future king of Israel. But in this week, we're, we're going to look at uh, really what his character looks like. God plucked him out and God said, he's a man after my own heart. So what does God's heart look like? And you begin to see like David's character in chapter 17. And in, and in chapter 17, we're going to see David's first public victory. Now, up until this time, we know very little about David. David basically is a shepherd. He's on the backside of a desert taking care of some sheep. And that's, that's really all we know about him. And then last week, we saw where Samuel, the prophet, shows up and he anoints him as the future king. It's sometime later, 13 or 14 years later before that happens... But he's already selected by God for the future kingdom of Israel. And so he goes back into his private place. And we don't really know a lot about that. We just know um, that he was a, a, a shepherder. He was a, 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 sh- a sheep herder. He was a shepherd. And you have to kind of read between the lines in Scripture. You'll, you'll see these little lines that give you a nuance of, 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 of what his time was like out there. And maybe we'll pick some of those up today. But, you know, when people, going back to people, when they have the facade of, like, I've got my whole world together... Like I've learned, I've learned some hard lessons and I don't mean this to be critical. Please hear me. I don't mean this to be critical, but I've truly learned that you cannot judge a book by its cover. 
A lot of times when we say that, we're thinking um, that you see something less than, and so you judge it as less than, but it really turns out to be amazing. That's, that's typically, or at least how I do. But take the inverse of that. Sometimes you can judge someone as, dude, they've got it together. And then you find out they don't have it together. Their private world looks totally different. I said a few years ago that, man, I want to be like this person. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that happen in your life where you wanted to be like a certain person. And I saw in them things that looked successful and they looked together in so many ways. And I found out years later that when... You know, what I was doing is I was judging on the outward appearance of their success. And then I began to see how flawed their life was to the, to the point of it being fatal. Uh, not life-wise, but marriage crumbles. Like pillars, pillars, and their marriage crumbled. Their whole world crumbled. And I, after that, I changed. And I, I, I no longer uh, aspire to be like people until I know how they are following Christ. You know, Paul says, follow me, but he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, follow me, but make sure I'm following Christ. And so I've learned that it's like, man, people can truly look like they have it all together, but on the backside of things, their private world is a mess. If you feel like this message is hitting you today or it's touching you, I don't want you to take this message as like uh, anybody's beating up on you or anything like that. Take it as Holy Spirit is speaking to us that if we want public victories, if, and, and I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be a conqueror, a victorious person, a successful person. But if you want the public victories, you have to put in the private sacrifice. We're going to see today how David put in the private sacrifice, his private world, what that looked like is what brought about his public victory. And so 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17 is a fairly long chapter, but I want to read it, okay? So I know a lot of times we don't read a lot of scripture in church, but today is not that day. Today is going to be a day where we read a lot of scripture. And so getting in 1 Samuel 17, if not, then listen closely. But I got my pen out. I got my red pen. I didn't, I, I, I've written in all another Bible that I have, but this one's pristine. It's all white and pretty. And I haven't marked this particular chapter up. And I'm going to show you how I do this, like, as I study scripture and as I read scripture, I, I get me a pen and I will go through here so that I can come back later and study this stuff out, okay? So in verse 17, or, or sorry, chapter 17, where we are, David was selected by God. Samuel anointed him as king. Uh, he went back uh, into the shepherd field. 
uh, shepherding the sheep for his dad, but he also got a job at the palace, remember, playing for Saul because Saul had these demonic, tormenting uh, uh, emotional episodes and uh, somebody referred David so that he would go to the uh, palace. And so here we are now, David, we're picking up from there, okay? All right, verse one. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damen. All right, so this place right here, just to let you know, this place where the Philistines are, the Philistines are uh, the mortal enemies of Israel. And they, it, they, where they're at is Israeli property. This is property that God had given Israel. So they are encroaching and invading, basically, the land of Israel. All right, verse 2, Saul countered, all right, so Saul countered. He's not just letting the enemy, you know, take over. He's, he's countering an attack by gathering the Israeli troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. So here you, have, you got this idea of over here, you've got the Philistines. Over here on this mountain, you have the Israel, uh, uh, Israelites. What they've done is they've taken a strategic high ground, and, but they have to fight in the valley. But they've each got a strategic high ground. And it looks like they're equal, but li- hear, hear me. This is just some of these little nuggets that the Lord will give you as you start. L- listen, you are never on equal ground with your enemy. Now, it looks like they're on equal ground, but they're not. And the enemy will come in and make you and I feel like we're on equal footing, my friend. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Like, we're not on equal footing. We always are victorious. Our victory has already uh, been won. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And so here they are. That's the strategic uh, point. And so verse 4, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. I mean, you know, the the, the javelin was massive, you know. And so it says... Uh, It was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Like, not not just the beam of uh, of, of the shaft, the spearhead weighed, everybody knows what a five pound bag of sugar, imagine three five pound bags of sugar, that's how heavy the spearhead was. Why, why are we spending so much time talking? His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying his shield. Why are we spending so much time talking about what Goliath looked like? Because we learned in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 that God looks at the heart, but what does man look like? We look on the outside. We look on the outside. 
90%, and, and I'm just throwing that out as an uh, as, as a exaggerated number, 90%, in other words, a lot of uh, intimidation is size and look. Size and look. Like you've seen, man, just the sheer size is intimidating. And so the, the, the word of God here spends a lot of time telling us how massive this guy was because his sheer size was intimidating. In verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted. So he's, he's screaming. He's shouting a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I'm a Philistine champion, but you are only, only is important because only is a derogatory limiting term. You're only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if, if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who, fight, who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They were terrified and deeply shaken. These are men of war. You, are you following me? These are men of war. These are men who have seen some intense battles. But the enemy is not only massive in size, but he's massive in sound. Now, I don't know a whole lot about self-defense and all that stuff, but they tell me, Brian Smith could uh, enlighten us here, but they tell me if someone begins to attack you, that if you will be loud back to them, am I right? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Is that oh, sort of? Okay, figure it out. He'll, but you know, I've heard them say that, you know, if someone is, is, is trying to threaten you or whatever, you get loud back. In, in other words, there's an intimidation in the sheer voice. And he's shouting. I mean, if you can imagine this nine-foot-ish uh, tall person out there and he's like send somebody to me you pathetic servants of Saul and I mean you know you can just imagine the uh, the insults that he's hurling them this is a pagan this is not somebody who has any kind of religious bearing I mean he's probably using the uh, the the most vile vulgar vernacular of the day to assault Israel you know, imagine some of the most vile words in our culture now, but just think somebody going out and just cussing them up one side and down. You bring them out here, I'll beat the living, you know, and it terrified them. They were terrified. And so how many times is it, guys, when the enemy will scream so loudly now, it might be in our head, but the enemy will scream so loudly in our spirit that it terrifies us. He will lie to you about your children. He will lie to you about your financial security. He will lie to you about your health. He will lie to you about your family, and it will strike terror 
in us. Am I lying? We have to recognize the voice of the enemy and we have to know the voice of our God. We have to compare the two. That's what discernment is. We, it get, the spirit of discernment, the gift of discernment gives me the ability to hear what's being said and determine if this is God or if this is Satan. Most of the time, the church is not walking in a clear uh, 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 gift of discernment because they will hear these things and it will shut them down. We are terrified so many times by our enemy. And so let's look at this. Verse 12. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, the Ephrathite, from the, from the tribe of Ephraim, which means double portion, all right? So he was named uh, son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem, fresh bread, in the land of Judah, praise. All those are just cool words. I just love them, you know? This is telling us something about David's identity. He's a man of double portion. He's a man of praise, uh, he's a man of fresh bread. In other words, he's a man of worship. He's a man of mercy. He's a man of compassion. All right. And so Jesse's three oldest, uh, uh, sorry, let, let me see. Jesse was an old man at the time and he had eight sons. And Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, uh, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. So the three oldest boys were out there fighting. David was the youngest son, and David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. All right, so uh, the, David is bivocational, all right? He's bivocational. He's got a number of jobs. He's got his chores around the house. He's a shepherd, but he's also uh, the medical worshiper person of Saul. You know, he bring, they bring him in for medicinal worship, you know, bring him in, calm the king down. So he goes back and forth between the palace and, it, and his house. All right. And so, um, verse 16, for 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion strutted in, uh, in front of the Israelite army. And one day, Jesse said to David, I want you to take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they're doing. And David's brother brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts. I don't know if this is important to you, but it sort of sticks out to me. And David left the sheep with another shepherd. That just shows you how diligent he is. I mean, this dude is leadership material all over. Like, he's not just leaving. This is not some dumb teenage kid. I'm not saying there are any dumb teenage kids in the room. That's not some dumb teenager. Like, he's got a responsibility. He gets a substitute. Mm -mm -mm. 
He gets somebody to cover for him when he has to be away. And so what happens is it shows his, his high level of leadership skill thinking. And so he goes while he's on this cheese run. So he's, he's kind of like the Caesar pizza guy. You know, he's going to deliver some breadsticks and cheese and all of that to, to the, uh, his brothers. And so David, he, verse 20, left out with the, uh, left the sheep with another shepherd and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts of cries, battle cries. All right. So what's happening here is, man, they are, he's arriving just as they're, uh, as they're getting ready to go out for the battle with shouts and battle cries. So they're coming up out of the trenches, getting ready to go into the valley, and, they're, and they are pumped up. Come on! We're fixing to go whoop some Philistine. Beep. You know, it's fixing to go down. Yeah! Hoorah! Simplify! You know, all, all of that stuff. And they're, man, they're going, they are into this. And, they, and, and David walks up when, they're, when, when they got all of this going on. All right, but this is important. This is important to look at how things can quickly change. All right, verse 21. Soon the Israelites and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the innkeeper, left his things with the keeper of supplies. So this is the second thing that David's left. He's left the sheep with somebody. Now he's left the, his personal effects with the keeper of supplies. And he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And then David heard him shout his usual, oh, usual, usual taunt. Mm, mm, mm. That's important. Because the enemy knows your weak spot. He, he knows. Mm. He has a usual taunt for you. David's, this David, not King David. This David, you have a different, you have a different soft spot than I do. Weak spot. My, my weak spot may not be Shay's or it, it may not be Chris's. We all have a weak spot that the devil, the enemy knows our weak spot. If mine's offense, I'll constantly be offended. If mine's religious, I'll constantly be focus, focusing on like maybe a judgmental attitude. But the enemy has a usual taunt that he will pull up to you every time. If it's pornography, when you are in a, 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 a rough spot, all of a sudden you'll feel the urge to look at pornography. If it's drugs, it'll be that. If it's alcohol, it'll be that. The enemy has a usual taunt that he will pull out and use against you. Our thing is we should recognize where the enemy is constantly hitting us and we'll begin to understand that he knows our weak spot and he will use that to manipulate us and strike fear into us. Not just fear, but fear of failure, fear of a lot of things, but fear of failure. And so as soon as the Israelites, verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw this, they began to run away in fright. Hang, 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 hang on a second. 
Rah! Oh, it's fixing to go down. What, what happened between there and here? The simplify, man. All of a sudden, the scripture says they are running away in fright. Have you seen the giant man? Dude, he's big. Have you seen him? He comes out each day to terrify and defy Israel. The king's offered this huge reward for anybody who kills him. Like he'll give the man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. I mean, that right there is enough. (laughs) Never to pay taxes again. Woo. He, he, he'll. There's this huge reward, but dude, who cares about the reward? Because this monster is out there. What? You know, it doesn't matter if you're going to be dead. You can't spend it. Like there's fear. There's terror. Verse 26, David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? And in his defiance of Israel, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that is allowed to defy the armies of Israel? Now, this is just, hmm, this is is saying something about David. David's like, see, he hadn't heard the reward yet, but he knows that it's customary for a reward. Like, the Father wants to reward us. He knows it's customary that there's a reward There's a reward coming. What's the reward if somebody kills that guy? What's the king going to give us? And like, who, I love it how it says it here. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? Like, who is this dude? Like, that's, that really, really, really should be our posture towards the enemy. Like, who were you? I'm sorry. Who are you? Now, I, 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 I wish I were strong enough that I never have a problem being intimidated by the enemy. I'm human and it happens to me. But what we do is we constantly remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. And there are times where I, I forget and I, I tend to run in terror at certain things because they look so ominous. But then I have to shake myself and go, hang, 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 hang on. Who am I? Who is he? Who are you? Greater is he that is in me. I'm a child of the most high God. Who are you? You're the enemy. You've already been defeated. Shut that foul mess up that's spewing out of your mouth into my spirit that you're trying to intimidate me and he says who is this pagan anyway that he is allowed oh my god uh, just circle that word right there that he is allowed can i tell you the enemy does not do anything to us that we don't allow Like, oh, he can throw the weapons against us, but the scripture said no weapon formed against me will prosper. Not that it won't be formed, but it won't prosper. See, I choose not to participate in your attack on me. I choose not to participate in your assault on my character, your assault on my emotions, your assault on, on me spiritually. Who is he that he would be allowed to defy our God? And so 
Verse 27 says, and these men gave David the same reply. In other words, they, they told him the same thing about the reward. And they said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, mm-mm-mm, Eliab, the one who Samuel, the prophet, mistook as the anointed one because he was looking on the outside. He said, when he heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He said, what are you doing around here anyway? I mean, could I just get a thank you for the cheese and crackers that I brought you? What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep? Few sheep. Few, like demeaning. You know, that just, that just, ugh, that just little slight slur. What about those, go back and keep you little sheep, boy. That's what he's basically saying here. What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be uh, uh, doing? The enemy will always minimize. He will always minimize you. He will always cut you down. He will always attack your worth. And so he says, what about those few sheep that you're supposed to take care of? And I know about your pride and deceit. Huh. Interesting. Because up until this point, we've not heard anything about David's pride. And we've not heard anything about David's deceit. And though we know that pride and deceit are issues of the heart. And... If David is a man after God's own heart, then that doesn't match up, which lets me, leads me to believe that Eliab was just straight up wrong and just was being an accuser of the brethren. He was just being used by the enemy to tear down uh, uh, the man of God, basically David, whom God had sent out on a secret mission and David doesn't even know the secret mission yet. Mm, that's a whole nother message right there in and of itself. Like, dude, you could be somewhere and not even, like, that's why you need to always be instant in season and out of season. You should always be prepared whatever situation you go into because you might be on assignment and you might not even know what the mission is until you get in the middle of it. And you realize that you've got to take advantage of that opportunity, all right? So, anyway, You just want to see the battle. Dude, you're just here for all the guts and glory and all of the, you know, the the action that's going to take place. And I love David's response. He's like, what have I done now? What does that signify? Say it again. Yeah, what have I done now? Like, in other words, y'all are always accusing me. So this is something that's happened before. And he says, um, I was only asking a question. I wa- he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. So then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. What's happening here is David, he's uh, like, I- I'm pretty sure he's hearing the reward. And he's going, I'm just at a loss why nobody's killed this sucker. I'm just at a loss at this massive reward and nobody, I mean, out of all of Israel's finest, nobody 
He's, I, I, I'm, I'm sure his little brain, you know, at this time, he, he's 20 or less-ish. We don't really know how old he is, but he's somewhere between 15 and 20 years old. I'm sure he's going, I, this doesn't make sense to me. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of taxes saved. And you get the beautiful girl. Everybody wants to get the beautiful girl in the story. What is the deal? And so he goes around and he's asking and he's asking. And finally, the king gets word of it. And the king says, come on up here and let's have a talk. All right, verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. <laughs> Little boy telling the king, the mighty warrior himself. That's what Saul was, a mighty warrior. But see, something happened. Why are we in this situation? Why are we here in the valley of Elah? Because if y'all remember back over in 1 Samuel 14, I think, the spirit of the Lord departed Saul. The Saul that we see here in, verse, in chapter 17 is not the same Saul that we saw pre-14. The Saul that we see here is the Ichabod Saul, not the Kavod Saul the kavod of God, the glory of God that went before him. We, we now see a mighty, what used to be a mighty warrior, but he's, he does not have the anointing of God on him anymore. That's why that fear can grip when we don't operate in that anointing. And so David says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. <laughs> Look at this. I love it, love it, love it. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied, don't be ridiculous, ridiculous, exaggerated, like unbelievable, unattainable. Like, don't be ridiculous, don't be that. You know that's not possible. Like, I got a massive army out here and you're a little boy. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. Persisted is important, guys. David persisted. I'm telling you what, when the enemy fights against you, when the enemy lies to you, when the enemy comes against you, when the enemy does all of these things, when the enemy knocks you down, get your tail back up. A righteous man may fall seven times, but the scripture says he gets back up. Get back up, get back up, get up, get up, get up, get up. When you fall, when you make a mistake, when you fail, get back up, get back up. Your fight's not over. Your journey's not finished. The righteous will prevail. And he persisted. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go at it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he's defied the armies of, of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws, who's he giving credit to? The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. What's happened in that private time? What's happened on the backside of the desert while he, he was a, 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 a shepherd? Stuff is going on out there in, in that pasture. And I can believe what Eliab said. You know, 
I can believe he believed it. Because David probably came in from times out in the field and said, y'all not going to believe it, I killed a bear today. <laughs> Boy, get on out of here. You ain't kill no bear. Y'all ain't going to believe it. I flat out ripped the jaw off of a lion today. I... That was their dinner conversation. And he's like, listen, that's probably where he gets the pride and deceit. He's prideful. You just want people to think you all that, man. You ain't all that. And they probably didn't believe the exploits. Oh, listen to me, man. There are going to be times in your spiritual life that God will do things in your private world that people are not going to be, believe that God met you in that way. Don't worry about them. You just be solid in what God has done in you and is doing through you. And you don't worry about what other people think. You ain't got to impress other people. And so anyway, let me see where I'm at. What verse should I stop on? All right, 36, 7, so the Lord who rescued me. So he's given God the credit. Saul finally consented, and he said, all right, go ahead. He said, and may the Lord be with you, because you're going to need it. <laughs> Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. These are unfamiliar things to him. And so Saul is just trying to suit him up, which is the um, uh, normal way of doing things. This is normally how this is done, okay? And so David says, I can't go in these. He protested to Saul. I'm not used to these. So David took them off again and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd bag. And then armed only with the shepherd's staff, look at what he's going armed with, the shepherd's staff uh, and sling, staff and sling, and he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. So he's got the stones, the sling, and the staff. Goliath walked out towards David with his uh, shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you would come at me with a stick? He cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your, uh, give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, David yelled. I mean, that right there, just alone. The enemy, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. I'll, I'll, I'll do horrible things. You know, the enemy will begin to fabricate scenarios in your mind of what he will do to you. And that's where that intimidation and fear uh, begins to come in. And so, verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the who? The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord, today, like not tomorrow, there ain't going to be no prayer vigil. There's not going to be an 18-week series that pastor has to preach. Today, this is going down right here in the valley of Elah, dog. It's going down. And he said, the Lord who, I'm not going to conquer you. The Lord is going to conquer you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. I mean, can you imagine this 20-ish year old peanut is talking to nine foot. He's like, 
I will cut your freaking head off. Today, today, what you said you'll do to me, I'm gonna do to you. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use it for good. And then he said, today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and then I will give the dead bodies of your men. Ooh, Jesus. Ain't nobody gonna be left standing. I'm gonna cut your head off. I'm gonna kill you, sucker. And I'm gonna give the, your, the dead bodies of your men. I mean, dude, he's fierce. He says, and the whole world, uh-uh-uh, underline that. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Think about that. This, this, is, this is ancient history that we're reading. And he says, hey, what's happening in the Valley of Elah today? One day, they're going to be in Daphne, Alabama, a church that's going to be reading about this, teaching about this, and know that there is a God in Israel. That's what that means. He doesn't say it. You have to read between the lines. The whole world, we're part of the whole world. And here we are thousands of years later, and we are reading about the glory of God displayed in this time and learning from it. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues. Oh, I didn't even know that. Okay. You have rescued my life. That's good. And the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear for, the bat, for this is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us, Jesus. Like if we could just realize that we don't even have to fight, that the Lord will just give it to you. The Lord will give the battle over, the victory over into your hands. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag, taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and he fell face down to the ground. So right now, the stone sank in, Goliath stumbled. We're not sure if he's fully dead yet. He could just be stoned, like, uh, not, yeah. Uh, yeah, he could, stunned, maybe is a better word. He could just be stunned, stoned, stunned. But verse 50 says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and stone, for he had no sword. And then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. So whether he was dead or not when, he, when the stone hit him, we know that he was dead when his head come off. I don't know too many people that have lost their physical head that's still walking around. All right. Verse 51-ish. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men from Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph. Oh, now they're going to be shouting. <laughs> they gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and the wounded Philistines were strewn all along the roadside from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And then the Israelite army returned and plundered and, uh, and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. 
David took the Philistine's head. Yuck. And he stored the man's armor in his own tent. So he put his head in there too. So he's got his armor and he's got his head. Head represents authority. I'll show you who has authority. I'll chop your head off. Verse 55, as Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Uh, uh, uh. Does this show you how ordinary David is to the king? Are you kidding me? The dude that comes into your chamber and plays for you, you don't even know his name? What an arrogant jerk Saul must have been. <laughs> Truly, I'm serious. Like, this guy's in the same room with you and you don't even know who he is? All right? And so it just, it just goes back to show you in the king's eyes the ordinariness of David. All right? And then um, Abner says, I don't really know who he is. We'll find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Tell him, hmm, stop just a second. Let me see what the Lord's saying about this. So Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hands. Let's just, so he's got the Philistine's head in his hands. Like, he, he's almost like carrying around as a memorial, a trophy. You know, we, gotta, we, we have to remember our victories. We have to remember our victories. We have to remember our victories. We have to keep reminding ourselves that, you know, hey, the Lord did this. Look at this head that I was able to cut off. Like, we, we're, he might crush our heel, but, but uh, bruise our heel, but we will crush his head, you know? And so... Verse 58 says, tell me about your father, the young man Saul said. And to me, this is the perfect ending scene that if this were on a Netflix series, as they're closing it out, Saul says, tell me about your father. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. Blackout. Is it? I love that. He's like, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. It's like he was proud in a, in a good way of his heritage, of his identity. And so here we see in this, we see, we see David's identity, his character. He was identified last week in 1 Samuel 16. But this week, we really begin to see his identity, his character. And so I, I, I want to show you a few things as we kind of close this out. And um, Stephen, would you mind coming and playing a little bit as we close? So I want to share with you five stones that every giant slayer needs. If you notice in the story, this is an epic story. It's one of the most told stories in all Christendom. Uh, children know it, and it's just famous. We know that he picked up those five stones. We know that he went over to the, to the brook, and he picked up five of these smooth stones. He put them in his bag. And we know 
that when we're looking, we consider ourselves giant slayers because these stories are passed down from generation to generation so that we can learn who we are and how we are to respond. So five stones, I want to share these real quick with you, that every giant slayer needs. Number one, giant slayers need to know their identity. You need to know who you are in Christ The majority, and I truly believe this, the majority of our problems when it comes to fighting our enemy is that we don't know who we are. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what's afforded to you. You don't know what your inheritance is. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't know what your inheritance is. You don't know what, uh, you don't know what gifts there are for you. You don't know what fruit there is for you. You don't know what weapons there are for you. You don't know what promises for the Father there are for you, but when you know who you are and what is afforded to you and what your capabilities are, then it gives you confidence in the battle. But if you don't know who you are, you will constantly be second guessing yourself. You'll constantly, I'll constantly be having these conversations in my head. But when it's settled, when you know who you are, there's this confidence that comes from that. And David knew who he was. He not only knew that he was chosen, he was anointed, not yet appointed king, but he knew that he was the chosen anointed future king of Israel. He knew who he was, but he also knew that he was Jesse's son. He also knew that he was a shepherd. He also knew that he was God's son. He also knew what his abilities were. He, while he was out on the backside of the desert taking care of those sheep, it didn't matter if Eliab or any of the brothers uh, believed that he killed a, a lion and a bear. He knew he did. He knew he was a bear killer. He knew he was a lion killer. So whether you know it or not, I know it. I'm confident. See, when he walked out into the valley of Elah, he didn't have a doubt that God was going to show up for him because I'm, I'm just saying, a nine, between a nine-foot warrior and a mountain lion, which would you want to take up a fight against? A nine-foot warrior or a ten-foot bear? You know, I don't know how big the bear was, but which would you want to? He was solid in who he was. So when we know who we are in Christ, we know what power we have. We know what authority. We have the authority of the believer. We know what authority we have. Then the enemy, when he comes to us and he begins to lie to us and he begins to try to to, uh, um, twist the truth, when we know the truth, when we know who we are, we can recognize that lie. We can say, no, 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 no. You're not going to use that against me. Second stone would be giant slayers. They focus on the rewards more than the risks. Um, Giant slayers are risk takers. I've been in church And I've had so many times where people say, we can't do that. You know, well, maybe one day or no, but that, and and it's all because there's, we're afraid of the risks. I'm so glad that here I have leaders 
that have been around me for the last 15 years that, you know, when we face some giants, we face some giants. We, we face some big financial giants. We faced like all different kinds of things that I had leaders around me that would say, Pastor Rife, the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. And many times I would be, you know, at times needing to be reassured. Man, I'm telling you what, the, t- the people you have around you need to be the, the kind of people that they are giant slayers. You do not need, in a time of you having to take a risk, you do not need cautious people. You need wise people. But sometimes the enemy will disguise fear in the form of caution. We should be operating in wisdom. But the enemy comes in and says, well, we might need to be a little cautious here. I'm disguising it as caution but I'm really trying to make you fearful that God's not your provider, that God's not calling you to do this, that God's not setting this up for a great success. David, he asked what the rewards were. He asked, I believe three times what the rewards were for killing the giant. See, he was more focused on the reward than he was the risk because he knew that God was with him. And he's like, listen, if we don't ever, if we don't kill this guy, the reward's gone. The reward. Nobody's going to get the reward. Nobody wanted to step up to the plate, but David stood up to the plate. The third stone is giant slayers have a backup plan. You notice he didn't, he didn't go and get one stone. He got five stones. And we need to understand that we have so many arsenals. We have so many weapons in our arsenal. Like, Listen, I'm telling you what, when the enemy comes up against me, I'm first of all going to rise up in my authority against you. But if there, if I happen to waver and my faith is wavering, I'm fixing to call two or three of my buddies who I know will go to war in the spirit realm with me. Are you following me? That's my, that's my next stone. If, 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 if that's not happening, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the word of God. If that, if, you know, if that's not, I'm going to pick up another stone. I'm going to call my mother-in-law because I know she's a praying woman and I'm going to, I'm going to go, go there. If that doesn't, if, if I'm still needing more, I'm going to go into my closet and I'm going to pray up a storm in private in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not coming out until there's an answer. So giant slayers, they have a backup plan. In other words, they have more than one, uh, one go-to because God has given us so many weapons. Look at this. Giant slayers are action takers. Rock number four, stone number four. Giant slayers are action takers. They're not just talkers. These guys in the Philistine, uh, or sorry, in the Israeli army, they did a lot of talking They were hyped up, but when the enemy came forward, they folded fast. Guys, sometimes it's so disappointing when people, when they can talk the religious talk, when they can talk the religious talk. And a lot of times we think uh, religious people are people that are not charismatic. Some of the most religious people I know are charismatic people. Stick with me a second. Some of the most religious people I know are... um, are prophetic people. I'm just using those two labels because typically in the prophetic and the charismatic circles, we don't 
we don't view ourselves as religious. But I'm telling you what, if you talk the talk and you don't have something there to back it up, if you, that, then, then you're not an action taker. We got to be action takers. When the enemy comes in, we have to see opportunities that if, if nobody else is standing up for it. And I've been in situations where certain things took place and nobody's standing up. Nobody's standing up, but somebody's got to stand up. It's not, it's not going to always be a place where it's popular. You may not be the most popular person, but it doesn't matter. If you're on assignment for the Lord, God will work it out in the end somehow. Just go through the valley. You'll end up on a mountain somewhere. But giant slayers, they're action takers. This fifth stone is this. Giant slayers know that the sword defeats the enemy. Five stones. They know that the sword defeats the enemy. Now listen, you know, we know throughout scripture that um, the, the, the word of God is metaphorically called the sword of the spirit. And so giant slayers know that the word, the sword, the word is what defeats the enemy. The stones got me there. The stone sunk in. The stone is what caused him to fall. But it was the sword, the word, that is the final blow that cuts the head off of the devil. That cuts the head off of the enemy. I'm telling you what, when all else fails... You can say what you want. You can sing all the songs you want. You can pray uh, however you want. But if it's not backed up by a strong, firm belief in the word, if it's not backed up by the word, if it's not something that you, you believe, like it's, it's not good enough to just speak the word. It's not good. Hear me. It's not good enough to just speak the word. The enemy speaks the word. It's not good enough to speak the word. You have to believe the word. How do we know the word? We put the word in our heart that we might not sin against God. It is a strong uh, weapon. The Ephesians chapter six says that we are supposed to be clothed in the full armor of God and taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm telling you what, when it comes to fighting giants in our life, the number one weapon that we should go to is the word of God. What does God's word say about my situation? And then flow out all, all, all of the other stones here, you know, uh, come from that. But the very first one is the word of God, the word of God. So how do I activate this? How do I activate this? How do I become a doer of the word? I'm going to share this with you and then we're going to go home. Say it with me. Public victories are one through private sacrifices. Matthew chapter six tells us, when you pray, where, where, where should you get, be going for your prayer? In your private place. When you give, the scripture tells us, Matthew chapter six, don't give ostentatiously. Don't give flamboyantly. Everybody can see when you give, give in secret. When you fast, 
Don't announce it to everybody. I'm not talking about you can't tell somebody you're fasting. When, you, when you're fasting, don't make such a huge deal out of it that it just draws so much attention. When you fast, the scripture says in Matthew chapter 6, wash your face, comb your hair, put on some lipstick so that people aren't drawn to the fact that you're fasting. Why? Because fasting is a private thing. And so go into your private place, win private victories there so that when you come out into public and fight public battles, you've got the private to back it up see David he was never afraid of the giant never not once why because in the private place where nobody else ever saw him kill a single uh, uh, animal that threatened his life he had already won those victories so how pastor Rife, can I live this out how can I put this message today into practice in my life and this is how you do it. What's one area of your private world that you can improve and grow in? Like, just think about it. What's one area in your private world that you can improve or grow in? Pastor Rife, I struggle with you fill in the blank. Nobody else knows that publicly. Only you know it privately. What's one thing you can do this is what you can do. Three things right here. Write it down, share it, and commit it. All right? Write it down, share it, and commit it. Why, why do those things? Because if you do that, it makes you accountable to somebody. So if I have something that I'm struggling with, if I have something, an area that I, it might need not even be sin. It just may be omission. I'm just not doing this in my life. Butch, would you be my Bible study partner? Because I don't, I don't, I never really open the Bible. That's not good. If Pastor Rife is saying the sword of the spirit, will you, can we get together for coffee and can we just read some scripture? You know, so what, what have I done? I've reached out. I've partnered, I've made myself accountable. And if I slack off and I don't do it, then Butch is like, hey, I thought you said we were gonna get together and do whatever. Hey, um, so Jim, I struggle with this particular area in my life. Man, I'm embarrassed by it. I'd hate it if people knew this about me, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking a leap of faith and doing what Pastor Rife said. I hope you don't judge me for this, but this is what it is. I've tried and tried and tried to break this. I don't know what to do. Will you help me? Will you just pray with me? Can we just meet together? So I, I'm giving you a real life example of how you can do these things. Until you decide to do something about it and I decide to do something about it, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. But I'm believing that we, we are going to rise to the place of giant slayers. Say it. I'm a giant slayer. I'm a giant slayer. If y'all are watching, say it. I'm a giant slayer. So if, if you're a giant slayer, then these five stones are things that you're going to need to begin to work out in your life.